Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my mom. I never listen. Coach Mox, Missouri State. That's really all you need to know. This is a team that's won seven in a row. They've won 22 games and they've only lost five, three in conference play. In all three losses that you've suffered in conference play, Coach Mox, you've already avenged those losses. I know the second time around, nobody wants to face you. Uh, how's it going in Springfield? Great. Um, just so proud of our group. Our, our kids have been so resilient. Um, we've been hit with adversity after adversity after adversity. Um, obviously, lost our starting two post players. And honestly, I don't know another team in the country that can lose their starting two post players and still be, like, pursuing championships. That's a big deal. And, you know, one starting captain and, you know, just our glue that Abby Hip lost her four games in. And then we lost Jazz, who was a potential All-American, you know, definitely would have been player of the year in our conference and leading scorer, leading rebounder in December. So, you know, we just to regroup, figure out our, our new identity. And, you know, our kids were just open to anything and they just trusted the process and we've been getting better and better. So I'm just super proud of them. When you face that kind of adversity, when, you know, fortunately for you, you have some depth. You know, most teams don't have that kind of depth. But how have you been able to reinvent your team? The, the injuries were in the beginning third of the season. Now we're, you know, in the second third, you're getting ready for the third part of your season how are you able to recover from those injuries it was difficult um you know like I said Abby Abby hip she was four games in and then jazz was in December so that was that was pretty early um so right after Christmas break I kind of reinvented our offense a little bit made it more guard oriented because we did, we were short on post players we literally had two true post players um and one that hadn't even played significant minutes at all and then Abby Jackson who who had played minutes but needed to step into a bigger role so I kind of just reinvented the offense and made it more guard oriented. And we were still struggling to score because we've been struggling to shoot the ball from the outside. So there were still struggles there. And then, you know, early in conference season, we had our starting point guard out for a few games with a bad sprained ankle. Um, and then we had some COVID protocol stuff. So we just, we played multiple games without, without starters, without uh, key bench players, um, limited numbers. So it was hard to get a rhythm with the team because people were in and out. And then here of late, Probably the last two weeks or so, we've had our full group back and been able to kind of get that synergy going and camaraderie on the court. But, you know, we went back to our original offense once Jen Eze was cleared um, from her, you know, ACL recovery. She's a transfer from Duke, 6'3", 6'4", kid, and she added depth in that post player spot. So we were able to kind of go to our original offense because now we had more, more bigs. Now, we still only have three. The two that we had before with Abby Jackson and Naya – um, Wachuku, we just, they were foul prone bigs. So it was like, I couldn't play them together, which we typically play two bigs together um, just because we needed subs. So once, once Jen came around, I think we got into a better rhythm with how we, how we want to play offensively. Um, but I, I mean, there was, <laughs> I felt like I was reinventing the wheel a little bit there, you know, just trying to figure out what, what can work, how we can score the ball. But one thing that remained the same from beginning of the year to the end and why we've won a lot of games is our defense and rebounding. That's been stellar all year. Well, you have to change midstream what you're doing um, from 
you know, two low posts to having injuries, and then you're, you're trying to make it more guard oriented. So I'm guessing you try to pick up the pace and make it a little bit faster. And then now you can come back. What's the advantages of have having um, been required to teach your team how to play two different ways and how they can help you when you get to the NCAA tournament? Because uh, whether you win the Missouri Valley Conference tournament or not, you could be an at-large bid. And that that's going to matter when you get to tournament seating and uh, who you play and what the matchups are. How much can that help your team be more versatile? I think it's going to help a lot. And it's already helped, you know, here in the second part of our conference season, because, you know, in our conference, a lot of times, you know, we may see a four guard lineup from the opposing team. So we now comfortable if we need to go to the lineup or if we need to guard two bigs which when we were in a four-guard lineup and we were guarding uh, teams that have traditional two bigs, it, it hurt us, you know, because we just didn't have the depth in the post spot. But now we can match up with that. So I think we have a couple of different lineups we can go to and just showcase our versatility. And kids are confident now having some game experience in, that, in those roles. And so um, that's just going to help us. And, and right now we're projected a 10 seed. You know, I think our, our net is a 39. So if we just continue to finish out the regular season strong, I think we're in. But we want to win championships. You know, we want to cut down some nets. So that's our focus. And, you know, hopefully that will propel us into the NCAA tournament. But I think that we have a little lineup on offense and defense that can match up with the teams in the country. You guys have won two regular season uh, titles. Now you're getting ready for one more weekend of conference play before you go to the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. So what does your team need to look like going into the conference tournament? You've got two more games before you get there. But. What, in your mind, what do you see for your team as you're moving forward? Like we got this, you're not looking past the weekend, obviously, but you know there are certain things that your team has to do well to be able to win three days in a row. For sure. I need I need our bench to be, you know, productive and continue to be confident. I think, you know, championship teams or NCAA teams that go on runs are deep and they're able to uh, spell some people. So we can't just have, you know, our starters or our starting six or seven or whatever group you know, be the ones we ride with. I think we have some kids on the bench that have matured through all this adversity and I need them to contribute and our team needs them to contribute. So that's one of the biggest things. Um, and then just being confident on the offensive end. Obviously we had our offensive woes through the, throughout the course of the season, but we weren't shooting the ball the best. We weren't finishing the best, but now that's all coming together. Offense has been a big time emphasis uh, probably here in this last month, especially because, I mean, I told them, you know, as we were having those woes throughout the course of the season, I'm like, we'll get better, you know, just trust the process, trust the plan. Um, we don't need to be playing our best basketball right now until the middle of February, moving into late February, March. So now is the time we should be peaking. And I think we are um, offensively. We're, we're night and day from what we were, especially in the beginning of the conference season. Um, and then defensively, we've been you know stellar all year. So we got to keep up that side of the ball as well. And I think that, you know, that'll give us a good chance to make a run. Mox, look, you're no rookie to this. I mean, this is your third year as a head coach, but you've been around the game a long time. So you've had lots of opportunity. You know, you've, I know because your name is in a lot of things. Um, and before you took the Missouri State job, you had other opportunities, but you decided this was the one for you. Why did you decide that uh, for you and your family, that this was the, the right time for you to take a head job at this level? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I'm a, I'm a God, you know, driven person. Um, God-fearing person, I guess to say. And so I pray about everything before I do it and just try to follow because I just believe, you know, everything's already written anyway. Um, so just keeping my faith in, in, in the forefront and, you know, my family. Uh, there were certain opportunities that came around that were, that were good I and mean, they were good for other people. They just didn't really feel right for me. Um, when, when Missouri State called, 
it was like a no-brainer. Obviously, people know the success and the tradition here and all that. But for me, it was first and foremost the administration. Um, Kyle Motes, the, our AD here, he's just, I mean, first class. He's awesome. Um, and, you know, just the rest of the administration, the, our president, Cliff Smart, everybody, SWA, Casey Hunt. And then, you know, the tradition, obviously, and what's been, you know, built here and legacies that have been left. left. But then the fans and supporters, uh, the resources, the facilities, everything um, just was a place that I felt like I could thrive in. I could recruit here. Um, you know, we could be successful. And then also this community, I felt like it was a, it was a community that I could impact in a in a positive way and needed somebody like me to come in and do that. And then also a community that can impact me and my family uh, and a great place to raise my son. So I just, it just seemed like all around, it was just a home run for, for me. And, you know, as if you, if you let Kyle and them tell it, they felt like it was a home run as well. So I think it was a happy marriage on both ends. Oh, a hundred percent. There's no question about it. Um, you know, when I listen to you talk about how great Missouri State is, I, I remember, um, you know, being there a lot during the Jackie Styles era. As a matter of fact, I referenced Jackie Styles yesterday in the Iowa-Michigan game because the way Caitlin Clark was going off was reminiscent of my time in Springfield. So I, I know what you're saying, but you also knew all of those things are all awesome. But you also knew this was a competitive league, but it also had a chance to be a multiple bid league uh, every year. Now, there's some years where it's been two, some years just one. Um, taking on that sort of challenge, how, how does that make you feel that, that, to know that all the things you just described about your job and all the pluses that are that there is, that you've lived up to every single measure of that, and yet you have another team set for the NCAA tournament? Like, you got to feel like, is that a pinch yourself kind of moment, or are there times where you, you know, go, well, this is too much pressure? Oh, never, never too much pressure. Um... You know, I think I, I was fortunate to be raised by the type of person I, my mother was just, I mean, she was someone that handled pressure in such a, a classy and, you know, just a classy way and just persevered. And, you know, she had a lot of um, trying times in her life. She passed away from breast cancer in 2008, but she was a surgeon. She helped so many people. I, I always say that she did, um, she saved lives because that was her job as a surgeon, but she saved lives just by doing God's work. And so I was fortunate to be raised by her and that that's my mentor and inspiration. So I never ever feel the pressure of anything coming in here, being the first ever African-American female um, coach in any sport at Missouri state. Yeah, of course there could be a lot of pressure, but I never focused on that. I just, I just felt like, okay, this is a, there's a reason I was called here and there's a job to be done. So and that goes far beyond the court. And, and I just, you know, embrace that and try to do it to my best, to, to do it to the best of my ability. Um, but I, there are times that I'm like, wow, you know, just everything that's been all the records that have been broken and just, you know, one, it's just one thing after the other. I just sit back and I'm just thanking God for choosing me. And that's literally what I, what I pray about. And I just feel so blessed to be in this position, to lead these young people um, to impact this community and just to continue the legacy of Lady Bear basketball here. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes I do sit back and my husband is usually the one that, that witnesses those moments. But I'm just like, you know, this has been like just a tremendous journey and I just hope we can keep it going. What led you to Hofstra? Because we got an interesting little um, sidebar Hofstra story I want to share with you. You may not know this, but there was um, a jersey hanging in the rafters of a player named Liz Irwin. Do you remember seeing that jersey in the rafters at Hofstra? Yep. Liz Irwin was my very first basketball coach at CYO and Regina Chaley in High Park, New York. Really? Yes. 
I thought I would share that with you because I don't think I've ever told you. So no. I've always had an um, affinity for Hofstra because as a young little girl, she was probably high school. I'm not even sure she was in college at coaching us, but um, I always find that to be a, an interesting connection with the Hofstra community for me because I've been in the gym and I've seen her jersey hanging in there. It just brings me back to being nine and, and playing. What what is what led you to Hofstra? Like, how did you end up there? Yeah, it's a very interesting story because it's not your typical recruiting story. I I actually blew my knee out, you know, right at the end of my well during my sophomore year. So I missed that summer where you really get recruited. And I was being recruited by, you know, Power Fives, and I just was a kid that was enjoying the process and like, oh, you know, I I was I just wasn't rushed to make my decision, and then I blew my knee out. And then back then, you're talking you know, late nineties, they, people just kind of moved on to the next healthy person. And, you know, my dream school was actually Maryland. They ended up taking one of my teammates, Anissa Smith. Um, but, you know, they, you know, I, people were dropping me left and right, things like that. So then I had a bunch of mid-majors that were still on me, George Mason, um, GW for a little bit, uh, Hofstra, you know, some of those schools. And so just mainly like CAA schools at the time, the league has blown up and it's gone all over the place. But um, I had family in New York. You know, a lot of my family was in the D.C. area, but I had family in New York. I've always loved New York. And so I was like, oh, it'd be cool to be around, away from home, but like close enough to family. And I was like, let me just take, you know, I kind of just pulled Hofstra out of a hat, to be honest, because they were one of the schools that were recruiting me. I went there, great facilities. I mean, I didn't really... Like, I was like, oh, they've never been to the postseason. So let me just see if I can come here and try and, you know, leave a legacy. Literally, that's how it happened. Um, because I just didn't want to go to a hometown school like that. You know, DW, George Mason, JMU, you know, those schools. So Hofstra was the one that I picked and I went there. And actually, I almost transferred after my freshman year. Um, Leslie Donowski was the head coach. I almost transferred um, to Maryland, you know, Georgetown. There was a couple of schools that were looking at me. And I almost transferred home. But then Coach Jack, who's at Buffalo right now, um, she came in my sophomore year and I just had an instant connection with her and I decided to ride it out with her. So that was a blessing there. Um, we had we still have a great relationship. I coached for her at Indiana University. So um, I just think that that was a blessing. You know, she's a phenomenal person and, and we became very close through that process. But I was I was almost going to go to my dream school after my freshman year. I love that story. I didn't know that story about you, but I'm glad that I was able to draw that out because that is really cool. I mean, you mentioned a lot of people there that obviously we in basketball, we all know who Felicia is and and what a great job she's done at Buffalo and continues to do. Um, so, you know, you know what up transferring? I'm just curious, like, you know, the transfer portal is such an important part of how we go about conducting business now. And, you know, I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that you had to play two different styles offensively because when coaches ask me about the transfer portal, I always say the same thing. You better figure out a way to play them. You know, so change your tempo, play more defense, which, you know, I don't like to see the game through that lens, but, you know, play faster, you know, play more up tempo, just change the tempo of the game with playing more kids. How do you think um, recruiting has evolved where you have to recruit the new ones, but you got to retain what you already have? Yeah, the transfer portal is a game changer. Um, I actually kind of feel bad for just a regular four-year high school kid um, because I think that more and more schools are just looking for experience, and you can get that right out of the portal because there's so many kids that are leaving. Um, so that affects those kids coming in because there's not spots for them. Um, but it also helps you maintain 
your program at a higher level, just bringing in experience like that. Or if you're in a rebuild situation, you can rebuild it faster with the transfer portal. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of, it goes both ways because you don't want to lose kids either. So you got to make sure that you invest in your kids that you have, otherwise they're going to be in that portal. So, you know, for us, anybody who knows our program, we always talk about family. That's the first thing we do, family academics, basketball in that order. And it's just, you know, I, I was listening to our seniors just the other night talking to the media and they were just telling the media, this place is different. You know, the way that the coaches embrace us, our sisterhood with the players, like just the culture here is different. Yes, you want to win and everybody's focused on that. But I mean, they talked about me always talking about enjoying the journey and staying present. And you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. I mean, look at the two kids on our team right now, two starters, just like that season ending injuries. One of them career ending with Abby Hip. So um, you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, when the pandemic and all that hit, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all the social and racial unrest, you know, that that message that I've always told them about staying present, enjoying the journey, embracing each other um, and loving each other through all that adversity and everything, it just rang even louder at that point. And I think that during that time, in a, in a time where we were all forced to be socially distant and not be near each other, we got closer as a program because we understood that things could be taken away in a second. People were dying all over the place from COVID and just other stuff. So um, that's what I think helps these kids want to, you know, stay here and committed here because they feel like they are truly loved. Abby Jackson on our team, that's literally what she told the media. She goes, this is the first time she transferred in. And she's like, this is the first time in my whole basketball life that I felt like I truly loved and cared about and, you know, also helped develop to be her best self on the court and off the court. So for me, if you pour into your kids and you do this for the right reason, then you'll, you know, you won't have as many. Not meaning that you won't. I mean, everybody's going to have a transfer here and there at some point, but you're not going to lose your whole team because of playing time or whatever, you know, because there's bigger there's a bigger um, goal here. And that is to help them be prepared for life and enjoy the journey, all that. I want to ask you this, and, and I don't want to get too um, make this emotional for you, but you have touched on several things that I think are really strong parallels to who you are you know your mom being someone who saved people's lives through her work and how religious and faithful you are and and then losing her and then george floyd and brianna taylor and covid and the way we've had to go about living our lives right now how much wider do you think your wings have become around your players like do you feel like you have to be um protector of things that they may not be ready to experience or don't understand what might be coming or do you feel like it's you have to have more conversation about it and and explain to them why you might feel certain ways about certain things because of all the things that you've experienced mox you know from your mom all the way through all the social um, injustice and and what we're dealing with with the pandemic yeah i mean i think it's twofold i think you know especially when all that stuff started to arise, I, I wanted to just create a safe place for them where they could voice their opinions and fears or, or just whatever questions they had. Um, not that myself or our coaching staff had all the answers, but, you know, we just wanted to create a safe place for them, which we did. And, and I think that's why we continue to get closer. Um, but then it's also, you know, there were times that I want them to be out on social media or in the public. Um, you know, we have a more of a conservative 
you know, community here. And I just didn't want anybody, no matter if you were for or against or whatever was going on, I didn't want anybody to be attacked by anybody or anything like that. There was times where I felt like I had to protect them. And there was times where I pushed them to use their voice and understand that they, they, you know, have a voice that could be heard and, and how to be heard and seen, um, you know, during all this turmoil. So I think that they understand that they they can affect change and that they are powerful enough to to voice their opinions and impact people, impact this community, impact this country. Um, but then there's also times where they understand that certain things that they say may not be something that they need to put out to the media or anything like that. So it's kind of an educational time, but it was also a time to empower them and for them to understand that they matter. So um, I think, you know, to answer your question, it was a little bit of both. Is that the blessing in all that adversity from, you know, losing players in the middle of the season, your, your experience with your mom, um, you being a mother yourself, having um, the, the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, and the other injustices that we've experienced. Um, do, you, do you feel like that's the blessing, what you just said about help, helping your kids be educated and understand how to move forward? Because um, I, I think you're a silver lining person. Like you find, a, you always find a positive. Yeah, you know, I try to, and you know, again, that's how my mother was. Um, I just, you know, I shared with them. We just had our breast cancer awareness game, and I shared with them one thing that my mom used to always say. You know, the saying of um, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Um, well, she said all the time. And one of the last things she said to me before she passed was, I'm trying my darndest to make this lemonade. And I just remember her looking in my eyes saying that. And it just resonated with me. And she always told us, you know, you're going to have hard times in life, but you have to be able to, you know, have that skill set to persevere. You know, again, find the silver lining, you know, pour into people, find the positive, um, get outside your head, get outside yourself, get outside your comfort zone, things like that. So those are a lot of the le life lessons that I try to instill into our players because, you know, especially nowadays, collegiate athletes, especially with social media and just everything going on, um, they, they hit a lot of, you know, walls or just run into rough patches throughout their course of their career. And it doesn't help when there's adversity going on in the country. And, you know, we've never really experienced some of the stuff that was happening with the pandemic and, and all of that. But um, so, so my message is always that. It's always finding ways to persevere through adversity and helping them find ways and coping mechanisms. Because I feel like this generation doesn't, they don't cope well. And so not necessarily our players, I'm just talking about in general. So, you know, that's that's a big focus with us. And, and there's not always just coming from me. You know, sometimes we bring outside people in and counselors or just different people um, to help them with some of those life skills, because I think it's very important. And that's why we do that that program lab, which is life after basketball. It's a life skills program. And it's, sometimes it's fun. You do cooking and things like that. We've done self-defense. We've done financial stuff. But we've done mental health. We've done, you know, sleep training. We've done, uh, Clinique came in and did skincare. There's so many things. But this year, we focus a lot on the mental side of things and, you know, just learning how to cope and how to face adversity, anxiety, things like that. So um, I just think it's important, you know, and it, it's bigger than just, we always say bigger than buckets here because, yes, we're going to be pursuing championships and we're going to do what we want to do on the court because they come here to be champions. And I take that very serious and I want them to reach their dreams and goals. But you know, my job goes far beyond that. I feel like I need to prepare them for life. Um, otherwise, they're going to leave here and just, you know, not be able to succeed. So, and that's not about basketball at all. You know, that's just about all the things, the intangible things we talked about. And that's why we do this podcast, because we try to get people on here that can teach us, educate us, and, and we can learn a little bit about you too. So I like being the, 
the the listener and the the teacher uh, or the deliverer of the message at, anyway through the podcast. So I can't thank you enough, Coach Mox from Missouri State, for spending some time with us. And I wish you well in the final week of the Missouri Valley regular season before you head to the Quad Cities for the Missouri Valley Tournament, which should be outstanding. Uh, there's so many good teams in the league this year, including yours. So thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie.